Welcome to the OCC Podcast. Whether you're listening to this at home, on the road, at work, or in the gym, we're so glad you decided to join us as we study God's Word together. We hope and pray that through this ministry, you will grow in your relationship with God as well as become a chair for disciple maker. But for now, sit back and let us help you see how the Bible applies to your life today. Amen. Kind of a somber way to start, but honestly, I can't apologize for that. Remembering's good. Remembering's important. Those of you, if this is your church, you understand that I want us to study the Bible in context so we learn from the things that we see in history so we don't repeat some of those same mistakes. And I did love the nod in the video to this idea of, of how do we come together in unity? How do we move forward? How do we pray for people who are impacted mightily by the events of 9-11 21 years ago? So pray. Continue to thank God that he is sovereign, that he's at work. Don't forget Tough way to start. Very, very somber, but this is kind of a celebration for us to be here today. We're so glad you're joining us. This is our, our fall kickoff weekend. We normally get really excited about kickoff because there's so many things that are going on, and typically we kind of tie that to the start of the football season kickoff, but this year, I'm not real excited about starting, <laughs> and maybe some of you are joining me. Like the teams I typically root for, I don't think there's going to be a lot to root for. My boy plays for the Clarkston team, and, and we got crushed the other day by the Lewiston team. Congratulations, Bengals. That was lovely. Yay. Excited for you. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and go Cougs. Very, very exciting. Yesterday, if you looked at just at the stats on paper, we had no business winning that game, but we won, so that was exciting. The Seahawks. I, although, whoever was in the NFL office and setting the schedule and put the Seahawks against the Broncos on the first day, that was smart. That was really good. We're not going to miss Russell Wilson at all when we watch that tomorrow. And, and my Browns. You could have a moment of silence for my Browns. Do, do you know how they teach young kids in Cleveland to learn how to count to 10? 0 and 1, 0 and 2, 0 and 2. So I'm turning the page on kickoff for football, and I am celebrating the Seattle Mariners, baby, because <laughs> I, I, this is a kickoff for me of the Seattle Mariners postseason play run. I'm very, very excited about it. If you're a Mariners fan, you understand. It's been 21 years since the Mariners made the playoffs. It's been a long, long time. One of the Mariners' best players this year is a guy named Julio Rodriguez. He had not celebrated his first birthday the last time the Mariners made the playoffs. So good things are happening, and I'm very, very excited that we're kicking off. We're just kicking off with baseball today instead of football, but we're glad you're joining us. We're glad if you're here in the room with us. You're glad if you're watching out in the cry room or in the Connection Center. We're glad if you're watching from your couch. We're just glad that you're joining us. But kick off today, we're going to take a little one-week pause in our study through Luke, and we've only got one week left. Next week, we are wrapping up Luke, so I'm very, very excited about that. But if you grabbed one of the outlines on your way in, we're going to talk today about something really important. We're going to talk about growth. If you saw the title of the sermon there, that's the question. Are we growing? I am growing, but it's not the kind of growth that I desire. Most of my growth seems to be horizontal these days. The vertical growth is done, right? I feel gravity really just kind of pulling me down now. As you get a little older, I think that happens to all of us. But we're not talking about physical growth at all, all right? The growth in mind is spiritual growth. Call it spiritual maturity. Call it whatever you want. The question is, are we becoming more mature in our faith? Are we growing as Christ followers? If you did get an outline, that's the very first fill in the blank on the outline. Are we spiritually growing? We have to answer that question because we're supposed to. Once we profess faith in Christ, which is an absolute necessity for any spiritual growth to take place, we're supposed to mature. 
because healthy things grow. This is a pattern you see in life. I don't know if you're a green thumb person. If you plant a tree or you plant a flower and then you actually take care of that thing, you go and water it and feed it or whatever, what happens? It grows. Healthy things grow. God's so creative, he starts people out as little tiny babies, but we don't stay babies, right? Moms feed the babies and they exercise and the next thing is they grow. And all my kids are taller than me and that's the way that works out. We get it, Right? But it's a great question for us. As spiritual persons in the church, we're supposed to be growing in terms of our sanctification. It's a big word that means our Christ-likeness. We should be becoming more and more and more like Jesus the longer we live on this planet. Doesn't that make sense? We're not going to be the greatest Christ followers we're ever going to be at the moment we profess faith. We're just babies then. We're supposed to grow in this process. To kind of continue with this sports analogy, As Christ followers, we want to be playing our best ball at the end of the season, right? We want to be able to make the playoffs and win. And I promise you, I'm not trying to jinx the Mariners because they seem to do that well on their own. But but it really looks like they're going to make the playoffs this year. It really, really does. I'm excited. And and at the beginning of the season, a lot of people, myself included, were excited for the Mariners because they just missed the playoffs last year. If you follow baseball, they won 90 games. I mean, they just missed the playoffs. And then they went and got a bunch of really good players in the offseason. Signed a couple here at the trade deadline. And he thought, this is it. This is our season, right? And they started, and they broke my heart like they always do. <laughs> Came to July, they were 37 and 42. They're five games under 500. And then they went, if you remember right before the All-Star break on this great winning streak. Since then, they're 41 and 19, one of the best records in baseball, right? There's 23 games left to go. We're five games up in that last wild card spot. If I jinx them, you can blame me, but I, but I think we're going to make the playoffs, right? Well, what happened? They've grown as a team. They're getting better. They're playing their best baseball now. Well, that's no different for us as Christ followers. We want to be playing our best as the season goes on. And so as we kick off this fall, that's why we're talking about spiritual growth in our lives. And hopefully we're going to see that as we grow in our Christ-likeness individually, we're all on a team together. And if we grow, then the whole team gets stronger, right? And this honestly is bigger even than just the Orchards Community Church team, although I'm so glad you play for that team. But I'm talking about the kingdom of God team. We're going to be better. God has placed us here with this huge, important task, and and we're going to accomplish it if we engage, if we grow, if we serve. Because God has given us a vision, and I share this with you as much as I can, that he wants to transform the world. He's going to start here in the valley, one person at a time, and we can join him in that. That's the Super Bowl for us. That's the big win, that God-sized vision. And when we engage in the processes we work through, we talk about our four chairs all the time. When we make disciples who make disciples, that shows that we're growing. And we've got lots of games scheduled along the way. If you were here and you saw the announcement that Erlene made, she, she gave a lot of our games might call them small groups or Bible studies or service opportunities, but that was the, the, that's what they are. Chances to get better. Chances to serve all over the church. There's so many places to engage in this big game. And, and what's going to happen? What's the win there? Well, God becomes more famous. He does draw more people to himself. That's when we know we're in it. And, and so once we profess faith in Christ, we are supposed to grow. We're supposed to get better so the whole team will get better. Now, I want you to know I'm not preaching this just because I'm a huge sports fan. I stole this straight from the Bible, okay? 
we can see actually how this works. So if you have your Bible, join me in the Gospel of John. And we're going to jump around all over the place, so we'll have these verses on the screen. But, but here's what happens in John, okay? Jesus calls a team to himself. He's walking around on the earth. He calls 12 guys to join his team. And then he starts preparing them for ministry, right? He's preparing them for the big game. He knew he was going to go to the cross. He knew he was going to die for my sins, for your sins. And he knew he was going to leave these guys to do ministry here on the earth. Going to send the Holy Spirit to fill them up so they could do it. And as we said last week, once they got that Holy Spirit's power, they're supposed to go out and spread that message of repentance everywhere, the whole world. Jesus knows this is a big task, so he does a smart thing. He prays for these guys. This is John chapter 17, verses 17 and 18. He says, God, sanctify these guys, sanctify the disciples, my team, in the truth. He says, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. It's a good prayer. He says, sanctify them. That literally means just set them apart. God, make them holy for all the regular season games that they're going to play in, for all the incredible tasks they get to perform. And did you catch how they're going to be sanctified? Jesus says, in the truth. The Greek word there for truth is the word aletheia. And it means more than just simple truth, like a, a fact is correct. It means more than ethical truth. It means truth. Truth in all its fullness. Truth in all its scope. Where are we going to find that kind of truth? Verse 17 tells us. Jesus says, God's word is truth. That's a really neat word in Scripture. It's the Greek word logos. It's bigger than we probably understand. It's how John started out his gospel. In John 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was... The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's Logos. So we have to understand right from the kickoff. If we're going to grow spiritually, we have to know the truth. Well, the truth is the Word. The truth is Jesus. So there's a pretty big takeaway for us. If we're going to grow spiritually, we have to know Jesus. So what did that look like for the disciples? The disciples, honestly, are supposed to be role models for us, right? And so Jesus pulled his team together. He spent three years teaching them, equipping them, praying for them. And then physically, he left. He gave them the ability to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, Holy Spirit's going to fill you. You're supposed to go do this now. So the big question is, did it work? Did these guys grow spiritually? Do we see a process of maturity for them after they received the Holy Spirit? After they got this incredible task of going out and sharing the gospel? I say they did. We've only got time to look at a few examples, so I want to jump right to the top. Let's look at two of Christ's most beloved disciples. Let's look at Peter and John. These are guys we know. Let's start with Peter, because Peter was the captain, right? He was the clear leader of the disciples. But man, he had some room to, go, to grow. Wildly impulsive, just wildly outspoken. One chapter after Jesus prays this prayer for him, Peter picks up a sword and lops a guy's ear off, right? Right after that, he denies even knowing Jesus three times. If ever there was a good candidate for growth, it's Peter. He started out like the Mariners, right? Starts a little slow. We got to get better. But this is so amazing. He does. So if we fast forward 35 years, and remember the seasons in the Bible, they're long, right? If we go 35 years, we get this from Peter as he writes his first epistle, his first letter. This is 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. Peter says, like newborn infants who long for the pure spiritual milk. Why do infants need that pure spiritual milk? So by it, you may grow up into salvation. That's what we were talking about earlier. Healthy things grow. 
healthy babies grow. They get nourished and they, they grow. Peter says as spiritual people, we got to do the same thing. We're just supposed to grow spiritually, not physically. He's saying don't be content to be a spiritual baby all your life. So he starts out his first letter that way. Look at how he bookends it. He ends his last letter this way. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter started out rough, right? He looked like you and me. It was kind of rough. He was the disciple who was impatient. He was the disciple who lacked love, who lacked compassion. Yes, he would occasionally show signs of brilliance. He did walk on water for a couple seconds until he took his eyes off Jesus, and that's where he got the name The Rock. He just, no, he I made that part up. He sunk, right? Peter denies knowing Jesus, but over time, he grows. Why? Because he's on this path of spiritual maturity. And God is teaching us we're supposed to be like Peter. We're supposed to grow. Let's look at another example. Look at our buddy John. I love this. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 John chapter 2. This is a letter written by John through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see he grew. He grew the same way Peter did. He grew the same way God wants us to. John had some work to do as well. John, and I don't think this is truly pride if you study it in context, but John often referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? That's a nice-sounding title. The thing he didn't call himself is the disciple who thought he was better than all the other disciples. But that's the way it comes across, right? I'm the disciple that should be starting a shortstop and batting third. I'm better than the other guys. I'm the disciple who's angling for a seat right next to Jesus in the kingdom. I'm that guy, right? But here in 1 John, which was written how long? 60 years after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. These are long seasons, remember. This is what we see John talking about. It's spiritual maturity. Talks about three levels of growth. First John 2, starting in verse 12. John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you're strong. The word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. Now, don't be confused because he's talking about all these different audiences. He's got a point here. It's a neat process. He starts out by addressing little children in verse 12. He uses the Greek word technion. That literally means all children of God. Anybody, anywhere who has professed faith in Jesus. So it doesn't matter how old you are, right? You can be as old as me. You can be 90 and still be a little child in this example. A technion. But he switches in verse 13, and he uses a different word for children. Here he uses the Greek word padion. Now, padion's different. That means the newest of believers. Those are the people who are brand new in Christ. So again, you could be nine, well, you couldn't be nine months old. You wouldn't profess faith. But you could be nine years old. You could be 90 years old. If you just began your relationship with God through Jesus, then you were a padion. So John's trying to help us see this growth process. Babies don't stay babies. Babies are supposed to mature and grow. Now, here's one thing babies do know, and if you've ever had a little baby, you get this. They know their father, right? You can freak a little baby out by handing him to a stranger. They don't like that at all. But then if you hand him to their dad, they're like, Woo, I know this guy, right? They get excited because they recognize him. Well, John's explaining in this text, just like little children, Christ followers should progress that way. We should progress from just recognizing God to knowing him. Go from being a baby to a young man to a father. What do we call that process? It's growth. 
It's maturity. For us as Christ followers, we should go from just recognizing God to being all in, to surrendering all to God. We become mature. When we do the things that God wants us to do here in this church, when we engage in, in our mission and our vision of making disciples who make disciples, that's evidence that we are growing. We're spiritually maturing. So Peter did it. John did it. I want to give one more example because I absolutely love the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bible, flip to Ephesians chapter 4. This is right after Paul explains that God gives us spiritual gifts. Each Christ follower gets unique spiritual gifts that we're supposed to use, okay? And he gives us a strong warning about what can happen if we don't use those. He says we, we remain spiritual babies, and that's not the plan at all. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 12. God gives us the spiritual gifts. Why? To equip the saints, that's us, for the work of ministry. Why are we supposed to be ministering? For building up the body of Christ. That's our team. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, you ready? To mature manhood, mature womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, why do we need to mature? I love verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. Children are tossed to and fro by the waves. They're carried away about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That's that process of sanctification. From whom the whole body, you ready? This is us. Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. So the body builds itself up in love. Man, that's a big win there. If we do that, we're going to win the Apple Cup. We're going to win the World Series. Whatever our big game is, we're going to win. We don't end up there, right, without the work. We, we play all the regular season games. So we serve one another. We get better as a team. We're supposed to mature. And that's what Paul teaches. Hey, don't stay a baby forever. The word he uses there for infant literally means immature. Infants lack maturity. He says, you don't want to be a baby Christian. Because when you're a baby Christian, you get blown away by false teaching. So these verses really explain what we're trying to do as a local church. We want to play a lot of regular season games. We want to provide a lot of opportunities to use our spiritual gifts. The opportunities are out there. If you haven't heard us talk about them, you're sleeping when you're sitting in here. We're talking all the time. You can serve in the sound booth. You can serve up here on the worship team. You can serve out on the info counter. We have a ton of needs that are new needs because we have so many visitors coming. We need hosts out in the lobby to help people know how to get their kids to the right spot. We need people in the parking lot because the parking lot's so full to help them know you can park over in the grass. We need people like that. We can't win the Super Bowl unless everybody is growing and serving here at OCC because it's just not healthy. We can't have a couple people doing everything, right? That's not healthy. The folks who are doing everything are going to get worn down. They're going to get stressed out. Their relationship with Christ will suffer. Their relationship with their family will suffer. There are a lot of us here who need to step up and grow and serve. There are some of us here who need to take a break. There are honestly some people in this body, and it would show a huge sign of spiritual maturity if they said no to some stuff. Because we go to them every time something comes up and we ask them, they say yes, and I think we're burning them out. I don't know truly if you can be burned out if the Holy Spirit's poured into you, but we're, we're really taxing people, right? And so that's not healthy. 
We need to figure out how to get everybody plugged in. Some people need to say yes. Some people need to say no. And each one of us has to evaluate our lives and see what that looks like. I, I thought of this example because I'd like to golf and I never do. But like if you're a golfer and you play golf five or six times a week, you go, well, I can't serve in the church because I'm playing golf six times a week. Could you play three times? <laughs> and then those 12 hours that you save by not playing the other three times, could you find a way to serve in the church? Is it something God's asking you to do? I don't know. You got to pray about that. I will promise you this. I, I guarantee this. If you think, well, I can't serve because, uh, gosh, I'm so busy, and I can't serve because it's just draining, and my job is hard, and my family's hard. If you serve in the area where God wants you to serve, with the giftedness that he has given you, it is not draining, okay? <laughs> I guarantee it. It's life-giving. It fills you up to serve that way. And I see heads nodding because some of you are serving that way. I've experienced it before, and, and I've blown it up before. I, I have not done all the spiritual growing I need to do. I am so well aware of that. One of my favorite books is by a guy named Philip Yancey, and it's a book on prayer. But, but in that, he has this great quote. He says, in the presence of the great physician, my only contributions are wounds. <laughs> That's what I'm bringing to the table sometimes. I get that. I need to grow. And by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what God wants for me. And that's what he wants for you. And it's what he wanted for Peter and for John and for Paul. So to wrap up our time today, I want to be super practical. If you have an outline, there's a little self-evaluation on there. I can't take this for you, okay? You can take it for yourself. But it'll assess where we are in this process of growth. I'm going to ask just two questions, but they are super hard questions, okay? You ready to dial in? Here's the first one. Got to ask this of ourselves. Am I thirsty for God? Do I want more God? Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2 tells us, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63, 1, David writes, he's in the wilderness. He cries out, oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Did you read the story in the news this week? There's a guy who was hiking in Arizona, and, and I know nothing about the guy other than he was a 20-year-old guy. He was young. He was healthy, and he went hiking. It was 127 degrees in the desert, and he didn't take enough water. And he got dehydrated, and he died. And I was reading Psalm 63, that, that picture of the dry and weary land. It wasn't just that this guy wanted water. He needed water to live. Do I view God that way? God, I need you to live. Am I, am I thirsty for God? Got to ask yourself that question. My desire for God shouldn't diminish the older I get. My desire for God shouldn't diminish because I'm comfortable, because I'm complacent. My desire for God should grow. Do I know him more? Am I thirsty for more of God? 
this summer I celebrated my 26th year wedding anniversary. And I know there are some of you out there who are going, big deal, 26. <laughs> Call me when you get to 50, right? And I'm trying. I'll get there one day. We'll talk. 26 is a milestone for me because I can't believe I got married. But <laughs> you guys don't know me like I know me. But, but honestly, here's the deal. 26 years in, I love my wife more now than I did back then, right? I married her because she's fine. I mean, I, I, I way outkick my coverage. I get that. But, but 26 years ago, I couldn't have possibly known what a great wife she was going to be. I couldn't have known we were going to have four kids. I couldn't have known what an amazing mother she is. I, I couldn't have known those things. I have no way of knowing. And I loved her then, but I, I, after 26 years, we've grown. We know each other better. And I'm super romantic. We celebrated by going to Pocatello and watching baseball. Because that's what really romantic guys do. Some of you are wondering how I've stayed married 26 years. I understand. But, but the reality is, this is what Christina wanted to do too. We went down and watched Trace play Legion Baseball. It was fantastic. We enjoyed being together. And we got to the end of the baseball season. And for me, I, baseball season is never over. And so Christina's all on board now. She's, she's learning more about baseball. We drove up to Spokane, watched an Indians game. It was hilarious. It was so much fun. We went on a little vacation over to the coast. And we, we went to Seattle. We went to a Mariners game. 26 years we're married, and my wife said this, and I posted this on social media because I needed a record of it just in case. But, and I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but she said, you know what we ought to do is make a trip and go see all 30 Major League Baseball stadiums. I was like, yes, we ought, we ought to do that. That's great. So I'm announcing a GoFundMe tonight. And uh, no, not, not the point of that whatsoever. The, the, the deal is, the way she sees that now is, well, that's time we could spend together doing something we enjoy doing. We could travel and go see all this baseball. I don't, I don't want to stop growing closer to my wife. I want to grow to know her more and love her more. As I'm taking this evaluation, can I say the same thing about God? I don't want to be done knowing about God. Am I thirsty for him? I want to see this on the evaluation because this is, again, Paul, and he's just a superhero. Despite all his maturity, Despite all the things he'd seen and experienced in his physical life on this earth, he wrote these words to the church that met in Philippi. And he explains, hey, good works don't save you. Paul preached that all the time. He said, as a matter of fact, all the stuff that we might count as really good, all the things that we would like to pat ourselves on the back for, he said, I, I count that as a loss. Then he said this, Philippians 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why, Paul? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's why he counts it all lost. He says, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own comes from the law, from keeping the law. That doesn't work. That which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. You ready? Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and I may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death can I say that not just I want to be a better pastor I want to be a better husband I want to be a better father can I say I want to know God more so much so that, I, that I'll enjoy the fellowship of his sufferings if that's what it takes 
Can we answer that question? That's the first one on our self-evaluation. Am I thirsty for more of God? I bet you didn't think the test could get harder. Here's question number two. Am I obedient? Am I doing the things God wants me to do? We've seen this over and over in our study today through Peter, through James, through Paul, through John, through his son, Jesus Christ. He's telling us to grow spiritually. He's telling us to serve sacrificially. God's word to us is kind of like an instruction manual. So am I reading it or listening to it and then throwing it out? Not doing what it instructs? If I am, then I'm not obedient and I'm not growing. James 1.22 could not be clear. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. If you're hearers only, what are we doing? Deceiving ourselves. God doesn't desire for us to have some abstract knowledge of the things he's talking about. He wants us to have experiential knowledge. It's a big difference between talking about something and doing something, right? I can't say, I love baseball, I've played a lot of baseball, but I can't say, well, I know what the World Series is like because I watched it on TV. I've never played in the World Series. I don't truly know what it's like. God wants us to get in the game with these things he's commanded us to do. I want us to look at a really neat verse, and this is out of a great little letter that Paul wrote, Philemon chapter 1, verse 6. One tiny verse out of a letter that's just one chapter. But Paul writes this. He's writing to Philemon. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Why? For the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The full knowledge, it's the Greek word epinosis. It literally means complete comprehension. If you read the NIV, it translates it full understanding. Paul says, I want you to have a full understanding of sharing the gospel message. You know how you're going to have a full understanding of sharing the gospel message? By sharing it. Not just talking about it, not just saying I pray for evangelists, by going out and sharing it. That's experiential knowledge. And Paul's writing to his friend Philemon. Now, that's a guy that Paul was used by God to lead Philemon to profess faith in Jesus. And he says, Philemon, I'm going to pray for you to be active in sharing your faith. Because when you're active, that means you're going to grow. So he's got a task for him. Are you going to experience this wonderful calling that God has on your life? Now, why does Paul include this prayer in this short little letter to Philemon? It's because he's going to give him a test. Philemon takes the test right here in front of us. It's a spiritual growth test. He says, Philemon, are you doing the things I'm asking you to do, or are you just talking about them? Now, specifically in the story, Paul wants Philemon to welcome back a guy who had been a former slave of his, a man named Onesimus. Onesimus had run away. And, and when we talk about slavery in the Bible, we always have to remember it's not race-based slavery the way we're thinking of. It's a different story for sure, and we don't have time to get into that today. But, but Onesimus had probably stolen stuff from Philemon. He'd certainly caused him financial hardship, and he ran away, right? And now he's going to come back, and he's not the same guy. Onesimus had professed faith in Christ. Paul knew him. He'd witnessed to him. God had used him to, to have Onesimus profess faith. And so now as he's coming back, he's not just a runaway slave, right? What is he? He's Philemon's brother in Christ. And so Paul says, well, I know, I get, you know, the historical context, the cultural context of the day. You could really have Onesimus be in a lot of trouble. You could have him killed. Instead of that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to forgive him. Will you forgive him? And to raise the stakes on this test, Philemon gets to do this in public. 
Paul writes him this letter that he addresses to him, but it's also to the church. And he says, I'm going to send a messenger, and, and the messenger's going to have a special guest with him. The church that Philemon led met at his house, and he lived in Colossae. It's the letter of Colossians that we see in the Bible. And this is what it says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9. We see the messenger is a guy named Tychicus. Guess who's coming with him? This is funny. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Who's one of you? You know him. He's from your town. Do you remember him? You're going to have a chance. It says they'll tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now, God's word is true. Amen? This happened. Paul didn't make up this story. This really happened. And I cannot imagine being Onesimus. As Paul says, hey, here's what I want you to do. You and Tychicus team up and go back there. And Onesimus goes, hold on just a second. <laughs> you know that's where I'm from, right? You know that's where I ran away. You know what they could do to me back there. Onesimus is obedient. He does this super hard thing. Now Paul's telling Philemon, I want you to do a hard thing. I want you to have epignosis. I want you to have a complete comprehension of what life in Christ looks like. And specifically, this is a super tough task. He says, I want you to understand forgiveness. I don't want you to have a vague idea about forgiveness, right? I want you to get it. I want you to obey my word on this subject. I mentioned a verse last week that I, I struggle with, honestly, because the Bible tells us we're supposed to forgive, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Woo, how? As God in Christ forgave you. Am I obedient? Or do I just like to talk about forgiveness? I stood up here in front of you all last week and confessed. That's hard for me, right? Paul says, Philemon, I don't want you to read a good book on forgiveness. I don't want you to hear a nice sermon on forgiveness. I want you to forgive somebody. And oh, look, by the way, here's Onesimus. What do you think? Give it a spin. Give it a try. He's right in front of you. He's right in front of the whole church. What are you going to do? What would we do? Church, here's the application. Do we have an experiential knowledge of the things God is asking us to do? My Bible says I'm supposed to love God and love others. Do I know about that? Or do I do it? Earlier in Ephesians, Paul instructs us to serve using our spiritual gifts. We looked at that. Why? So the body of Christ may be built up. So the whole team may be better. So we can win that Super Bowl of having God transform this valley. Do I do that? Or do I sit on my hands and cheer on other people? Oh, go team. But I'm not really going to get in the game. Are we serving? Are we growing spiritually? If we are, then we can be confident that we're going to get the chance to be obedient to God's commands. That's the test. Am I thirsty for more of God? Am I obedient to his commands that are about my growth, that will help me experience the abundant life he wants me to have in my walk with him? It's a hard test, I get it, but it's necessary that we take it often. That's why we're trying to provide so many opportunities to engage. We want people to dive in and get experiential knowledge. Out at the info counter, there's a big long list of stuff you can get plugged into. You can go on the website and check it out. We're doing all that stuff because we want to give chances for people to do this. Let me close with this. I, I read this story years ago. It was about a guy. He was driving through Florida one spring. I don't know if you've ever driven down in Florida during orange season. But he, he drove in and he's driving down the interstate and he's blown away miles, like as far as you can see, miles and miles and miles of these mature, healthy trees with oranges all over them. 
zillions of oranges. I mean, there's no way you could possibly understand how many oranges, right? And so this guy's driving, and, and he finally stops for breakfast, and he pulls in, and he orders waffles because he's at a waffle house because they're all over the south. And, uh, and so he pulls in, and, and because he's been seeing all these oranges, he goes, well, I'll have my waffles, and bring me a big glass of orange juice. And the waitress says, I'm sorry, we don't have any orange juice. <laughs> and the guy's dumbfounded. He's like, you don't have any orange juice? He was like, you have oranges? I've seen the plates come out, and they've got a little garnish. They've got a little orange slice. I know you have oranges. I saw eight zillion oranges as I was driving in. Why don't you have orange juice? And the lady said, the machine's broken. The machine is broken. The problem isn't that there were no oranges around. The problem was they forgot how to get juice out of the oranges, right? They'd become so dependent on the machine, they didn't understand how to get the juice themselves. Sometimes as Christ followers, we're like that. We may have a whole bunch of Bibles in our house, but I'm used to coming to this service and I have Pastor James teach me. So I, what would happen if we canceled the service on Sunday? Would we sit at home and lament? Well, I got nobody to teach me. When I got a Bible right there in my house. If we didn't meet on Sunday, would we forget that there's opportunities for Bible studies, small groups rooted all through the week? Chances we could go and engage? The nourishment is available. There's not a lack of spiritual food. The question is, have we grown to the spot where we know how to feed ourselves? That's what we're shooting for. We're not supposed to be spiritual babies. We're supposed to be growing and maturing and becoming more and more like Christ. We know how to feed ourselves. We have this experiential knowledge of the things God wants for us. Orchard's community, community church team, let's get better. We're preparing for this big game, God transforming lives, using us to do that. He wants us on the team, but he needs us to grow, to be the very best players we can be. If we're going to do that, we're going to have to engage in this process of maturity. We're going to have to be thirsty for God. We're going to have to be obedient to his commands. That's what it's going to take. Amen? I love you guys. Let's pray. Father God, I took the test. I've taken it a few times this week and, and I've, I've not been pleased with the results. Am I thirsty for you, God? Am I obedient to the things you're calling me to do? You put me in a unique spot to help lead this body in the direction you're desiring for us to go. And God, I don't want to ace the test so that I can feel good about the local church. God, I want to ace the test God, I want to ace the test so we can be the church. Am I thirsty for you, God? Am I obedient to the things you're calling me? God, help us to grow. Help me to grow. Help us to join you where you're at work. And you get all the glory. You get all the praise. God, we love you and we praise you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to give to our ministry, please check out our website at lewistonocc.org. And don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, so you're always up to date with what's going on here at Orchards Community Church. 
Take care and God bless.